trump game. And in spades, the spades are the trump suit that take every other card when you're playing one of those. They, they kind of take the other cards. But there's one card in particular that you want to be dealt. And uh, we call it, in my family, we call it the big dog. And whoever gets the big dog, it's the trump of trumps. It's the one that defeats every other hand that could possibly be played. And so we'll often, when somebody's acting a little bit cocky, we think, oh, you've got the big dog, don't you? You got the big dog. So sometimes I'll pretend to have the big dog just to instill fear in people, but no, I don't. Anyway, today I'm talking about the fear that trumps every other fear. And that's the fear of the Lord. This is the one sermon pastors don't often preach. You think, oh great, I'm here this week. Well, maybe you need to be here this week. You ever think of that? It's for you that I'm preaching this sermon right now. <laughs> Amen. Well, we're going to find out what is the fear of the Lord today? What are the benefits of fearing the Lord? And what are the signs that we're living in the fear of the Lord? So let me pray so that we'll be open and receptive to what the Holy Spirit wants to say. Amen. Father, the fear of the Lord is a wonderful, amazing thing, God. It's the beginning of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, Father. We pray now, Holy Spirit, that you will take these words that I'm about to preach, impact our hearts, our minds, our souls. Help us to realize we have a trump card that trumps every other fear, the fear of the Lord. Amen. Well, the fear of the Lord in the life of the, you need to understand this first and foremost, in the life of an unbeliever, in the life of somebody who does not know the Lord, the fear of the Lord should be that one day you're going to stand before God and face Him on judgment day. And if you're not ready for that moment, then there's separation from God for eternity, which is an incomprehensible thing and so that's those who don't know the Lord. So if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, you don't have to live under that fear of the Lord because you can make a decision today to follow Jesus. I'll give you that invitation by the end of the sermon. But for the believer, the fear of the Lord is not based on separation from God. The fear of the Lord is when we come to a point of awe and wonder and understanding that I live my life governed by this understanding that God is God and I'm not. And so this is where we want to lean into and begin to understand. You say, Pastor Greg, you know, you just said in the New Testament, where, you know, perfect love casts out fear. That's another one of the scriptures. You know, those who've been, who are fearing have not been made perfect in love. But you understand something. When you fear God, you love Him. When you have this pl properly placed moment of your life when God is in charge of your life, you're going to understand today that that's actually critical. You see, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You might be thinking to yourself, well, the Old Testament God is the God I fear, but the New Testament God, that's Jesus, the kinder, gentler God. I don't have to fear him. You have not read the book of Revelation. You've not read some of the scriptures in, in, in the, the Gospels where Jesus is like, 
you know, don't worry about him who can kill you. Worry about him who can send your soul to hell. You should have this reverence for God, this awe and mag- of the majesty of the Lord. Are you with me? Okay. So why am I talking about the fear of the Lord today? Because in our text, we're going to get there in a minute. In Acts chapter 4, a guy named Barnabas goes and sells a piece of property. And he takes the entire income from that property, lays it at the apostles' feet. It's such an act of generosity that it's actually recorded in the scriptures forever. Now we jump into Acts chapter 5, whereas where we are on our text, and let's see what it says. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money that you received from the Lord? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold and after it was sold? Wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young man came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, Is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. (laughs) This is the New Testament. This is the kinder, gentler Jesus. What's going on, Pastor Greg? I mean, doesn't that scripture kind of freak you out just a little bit? Now, now understand, they lied to the Holy Spirit. They didn't die because they didn't bring, you know, all the money in. They, but they lied about what they were bringing in. Can you imagine they saw everybody talking about, you know, Barnabas and, oh, can you believe he sold that land and he brought it in? And they come up with this idea, let's sell a piece of our land, but we're going to keep some of the money for ourselves and act like we've given it all. So they didn't die because... They didn't give it all. They died because they lied to the Holy Spirit. Now, I thought about that, and I thought in my own life, because I, I tend to do that. I'm like, God, where have I done anything even closely resembling this? And I remember a story from Fort McMurray, and um, we had no idea who this person was, but it was kind of unbelievable. He or she, we don't know, uh, would put an offering envelope in every Sunday or a couple Sundays a month filled with paper, not money paper, 
paper cut out to shape like a dollar bill. So you know how sometimes you see people and they got, they got the tithe envelope stuffed in their pocket and it's like thick and you're like, oh man, that guy's given some serious coin to the Lord. This was this guy or woman. I, it's probably a guy. A woman would never do this. It was a guy. Let's be honest. <laughs> right? And all the women said, yeah, that's just dumb. <laughs> and they're thinking to themselves, I got better things to do than cut out pieces of paper that look like... Anyway, so we would... Our, our offering team would get this like thick envelope of paper. How many of you know that's a guy that does not fear the Lord? Okay. You know, as a pastor in this church, I preach on the love and the mercy and the goodness of God all the time. Why? Because I think it reflects who God is, but He's also God Almighty. You know, the Bible calls Him the Lion of Judah. He's not a tame lion, but He is a good lion. Amen? And I, I shared with this, this scripture with you a couple of weeks ago, but I want to bring it up again because I talked about the fear of the Lord a couple of weeks ago, but I want to hone in on it one more time. In Psalm 62, 11 and 12, it says, one thing God has spoken, two things have I heard, that you, O God, are strong and that you, O Lord, are loving. Now, church, why I love that scripture, God speaks one thing, but you're to hear two things. God is strong and God is loving. In the Old Testament times, right, and the times even of Jesus, the followers of God did not know the love of God. They really didn't understand it. Though it was very clearly laid out throughout the Bible, especially the Pharisees, these leaders who claimed to represent God, they always preached on the strength of God. God is this. You should fear God. You should. They always had that message. Are you following what I'm saying? And when Jesus came and represented to the world that God is a good father and a loving God, they said, that is not the God we serve. And so they had a misconception, guys, a misunderstanding. They, they represented God in a wrong way. As a matter of fact, most of Jesus' ministry to them was in saying, God is not like what they're saying. God is like this. Because they didn't hear the love of God. And they missed, in many ways, the first coming of Christ. Are you following me? So here we are now, 2,000 years later, and my fear is that the church is not ready for the second coming of Christ. Because I think we rewrite that scripture and say, one thing God has spoken, one thing God I hear, you, O God, are loving. And we're missing the strength of the Lord. And I want us to be ready, amen? As your pastor, I want you to be ready. I don't want you to stand before me on that day and say, Pastor never warned me. Pastor never said about the fear of God. He never talked about these things. You know, when I first became a Christian, I'm going to tell you a little story, and there's going to be a slide that's going to come up in just a minute. Um, There was a prophecy that went across Canada, and it was kind of just a unique thing, and I got saved in the 80s. And uh, that's the 1980s for you kids that don't know what there's 1900s before the 2000s, okay? So (laughs) I'm old, I know. I'm not quite there for the 65, but I'm getting there. Okay, 
So this prophecy said there are two winds of the Lord that are coming in the last days. And the first wind of the Lord is called holiness unto God. And where God is going to get the attention of the church again, and He's going to call people back to a place of, God, you're first in my life. God, I put you first in every area of my life. God's going to do that work called holiness unto the Lord. Holiness is not a scary thing. It just means separated unto. Amen? That God is calling us to be separated unto Him. How many of you know in this world today, there should be a distinction between the church and the world? Okay. So this, this first wind of the Spirit called holiness unto the Lord would come in the last days. And then the second wind of the Spirit is called the government of God. And in the second wind, the government of God was going to be the authority of the church restored, the power of the church, healings, signs, wonders, salvations, amazing things happening. And the prophecy warned, if you try to take the second wind without going through the first wind, you'll be destroyed by the second Kind of a wake-up call, okay? So I'm a new believer thinking, oh my gosh, okay, fear the Lord, I get it. Uh, now, this is crazy. I preached this in the first sermon. And Carla, who was singing, comes up to me and says, Pastor Greg, I need to sh tell you this. In the Ashbury revival that's happening in the world right now, happening in, at the Ashbury Seminary, okay, check this picture up. Up. This is over the altar of the organ. What does it say above the organ? Holiness unto the Lord. <laughs> what was the name of the first wind? Holiness unto the Lord. So millions of people are turning in, tuning in, and every time somebody preaches, what is the banner over top of that preacher, that person speaking, that person praying, whatever they're doing? As millions of people are tuning into this revival, what is the word of the Lord to this generation? Holiness unto the Lord. That's pretty amazing, I thought to myself. Wow. God's calling us back to a place of surrender before Him. <laughs> My wife and I were talking about this sermon, trying to figure out how, to, how do you preach this, Pastor Greg, without causing tremendous fear to hit people's hearts in a wrong way. You see, always the wrong people take, when I preach on this kind of stuff, the wrong people take it the wrong way. Those who live in condemnation think, oh my God, I'm going to hell. No, you're not going to hell. Okay? Amen? Okay, but the rest of us need to be sobered by this message. And I was, but my wife said, you know, Greg, it reminds me of when a little kid plays peekaboo. And uh, Betty's so good at analogy. She should preach more, don't you think, you guys? She said, you, you, when the kid, the kid goes like this, and they think you can't see them. <laughs> Anybody had peekaboo with a kid like this? Oh, where's, where's Jimmy? I can't see Jimmy. Oh, there's Jimmy! And you're like, how many of us think God is like that? God can't see what I'm doing right now. I can stuff my envelope full of paper and God won't say anything. 
I told you her analogies are like, wow, wow, Betty, you should preach. Okay, you with me? We want to be those that are ready for the second coming of Christ, and we want to be the church that represents the living God. And when he speaks, we want to hear two things. You, O oh God, are strong, and you, O oh God, are loving. Amen? That's the message to this world, church. Well, what are the benefits of fearing the Lord? Psalm 111 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Good understanding to all those who obey his commands. Psalm 34 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around them that who fear him, and he deliver them. Psalm 34 says, Oh, fear the Lord, all you saints. For those who do that, there is nothing that they lack in their lives. This is the fear that trumps every other fear. Are you following what I'm saying? If you have this rightly set in its place... God will begin to order your life in the right way. As I thought about how to preach on the fear of God, I wanted to bring some clarity. And so for me, I've been meditating on Psalm 103 lately. I've been meditating on that Psalm because I've, I've been pursuing God and healing in a different way and different things in my life. And God's doing a great work in me as the word of the Lord comes alive. How many know when you meditate on God's word, it bears the fruit of faith? So I was thinking about Psalm 103, and I'm going to read portions of this text today because it frames for us more promises, more blessings, more benefits that come as we fear and revere God. Here's the first one. We fear and revere God because He is merciful and kind. Isn't that a crazy first reason to fear God? Listen to what it says. Forget not all the benefits of God who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will He harbor His anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. The apostle Paul is preaching and he warns the people. He says, why are you showing contempt for the kindness of God? For do you, know, do you not know that it is the kindness of God that leads people to repentance? God is so generous with His mercy and His grace. This scripture captured me when I was a new believer. And I'm going to tell you, to me, it is one of the most profound scriptures in all the Bible. And you're going to say, well, that's kind of weird, but let me read it to you. Psalm 130, verse 1, if you, O Lord, kept record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. Do you know what that's saying, church? You say, well, how can that be such an impactful scripture for you? Because there's nowhere to hide. 
God will meet you right where you're at. I do not care what sin you have done. I do not care where you have fallen down and failed to live up to things in your life. If you will but come and bring that to the Lord, He will meet you with forgiveness. It's when we hide. It's when we cover. It's when we blame. It's when we justify. It's when we do those things that God's saying no. But if you will come... We fear and revere God, church, because He is forgiving and He is merciful. Amen? I mean, think about King David. The guy just utterly blows it and does terrible stuff later in his life. He sees a woman bathing. He lusts after her, finds out she's married to one of his key soldiers, but decides, I don't care. I'm going to take her into my bed. And he commits adultery against this soldier of his who's out fighting his war. She becomes pregnant, Bathsheba. Now David's in trouble. Oh my gosh, the guy's been at war for a year. How can I, or months, how? They're going to know if she has a baby. So he calls the man back and says, oh man, gets him drunk and says, you should go home. But the guy's, a, guy's a, he's an integral guy. He's like, I'm not going to go and be with my wife when all the other guys are fighting the king's war. He sleeps on the doorstep. He won't even go and be with his wife. David tries again the next day. It doesn't work. So what does he do? He comes up with a plan to have Uriah killed. Literally writes a note to the commander saying, set Uriah in the front of the battle, and when the battle gets fierce, pull him back. Pull everyone back so that he dies. And the commander says, what the heck's going on? Okay, I'll do that. They pull everyone back. Uriah dies along with several other people. King David thinks, I got away with it. Marries Bathsheba. They have a son. Everything's good until the prophet of God says, David, God saw. Now, here's what's crazy about that story. David repents. Psalm 51. Beautiful. Created me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me, God. You will not cast me away from your presence nor take your Holy Spirit from me, God. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and renew a right spirit, a right heart, a right mind, an eye that's fixed and focused on the fear of the Lord. God, help me. Amen? God accepts us right where we're at, church, but he loves us too much to let us stay there. Love loves unto purity, not unto affirmation. Oh, it's okay, you little sinner. Yeah, little sinner, daddy loves you. No, daddy says, enough. <laughs> I'm not going to love the things that kill you. <sighs> Why else should I fear the Lord? Well, we fear and revere God because it benefits those around us. Check this out. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. I tell my kids this all the time. I'm a first-generation Christian. My parents loved, loved me, but I led them both to Christ just be on their deathbeds, and I didn't have a godly heritage. But I tell my kids, you guys don't deal with some stuff in your life because mom and I have dealt with it in our lives. 
because of the fear of the Lord. Amen? Guys, there's a blessing that comes on you, and you, you can't change your past, my friends. You cannot change your past, but you can change your future. Amen. Hallelujah. Your children and your children's children and your children's children's children can be blessed because you've lived in the fear of the Lord. Many of you don't know Pastor Glenn and Lois, but I know them quite well. I've known them for almost 30 years. I know their family and the generational blessing that rests on their home. They're generational Christians, and upon their children, and upon their children's children, and upon their children's children's children is the blessing of the Lord. And I see that, and I say, Lord, I, Pastor Glenn is my spiritual dad. I don't have an inheritance for my earthly father spiritually, but I'm taking an inheritance for my spiritual dad because I want to be blessed, Lord. And I want the generations to be blessed. Amen? Okay, okay, so this is good stuff. <laughs> Hallelujah. Give God his proper place, guys. Hallelujah. Proverbs 14, 26 says, whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a refuge. <sighs> That's good. That's a good reason to fear the Lord. Amen? In our world that's so psychotic and crazy right now and what the world is trying to put on your kids, shouldn't you fear the Lord? I thank God for our Christian school. Hallelujah. Well, let's go on. We fear and revere God because it's not the end of the story. Look what it says. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are but dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field, and the wind blows over it, and it's gone. And in its place, remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting... The Lord's love is with those who fear Him. That's why I wanted to do that new song today that we did. Because this is not the end of the story, church. If you are living your life only for this life, oh my God, fear the Lord. <laughs> if you think whatever thinking comes into your heart, come to a point of saying, you know, church, you need to understand that you can't take it with you into eternity, but you can send it on ahead. And you send it on ahead by fearing the Lord and building up your eternal rewards in heaven. Jesus was very clear, you know, don't, don't live for treasures on this earth, store up treasures in heaven. Church, there are multitudes of scriptures in the Bible that tell you how to send your reward heavenward. 
I mean, I could just, let me just, I'm, this is crazy. There are character traits that God is going to judge you on in eternity. And now he judges us and all those things that are not built with God, with living in the fear of the Lord, they're going to be burned up and removed. But everything that we do that is living in the fear of God will be with us in eternity for eternity. I, great that you're planning for your retirement here on earth. Not a problem. But man, do not forget your retirement in heaven. You are but grass. <laughs> Phyllis lived to 99 years old. Whew, God says, it's a breath. Compared to eternity. So I'm just going to... Okay. There are character tests. Are you godly? There's rewards for that. Your motives, like Ananias and Sapphira found out. Mm, there's motive tests. Okay. Attitude tests, integrity tests, faithfulness tests, humility tests. There are things that we overcome internally, Revelation 2 and 3. All of those things you are rewarded for in eternity, for eternity. By setting the fear of the Lord in its right place, you are going to be rewarded in eternity. That's just the character test. There are external tests. How you handle persecution and rejection. How many of you know you're going to be persecuted a little bit in this world right now? Dear God, you're terrified before you press send on your Facebook post now when you have anything to say that opposes the culture of the world. <laughs> right? Overcoming trials. Thank God there's rewards for overcoming trials. I tell my wife that all the time. Think of your rewards in heaven for living with me. <laughs> there's timing issues there. I say that sometimes and she's like, that does not help right now. <laughs> okay. Overcoming the world. Revelation 3. Rewards. Stewardship tests. You're giving. You're serving. How you handle power and authority. That, that means the power and authority not only given to you, but that you had to live under, how did you respond? I have to repent almost daily in praying for our prime minister. Honest to God, I, I, it's so hard for me. I am like, I, I'm just like, Jesus, the word of God says to pray for your leaders. I'm just saying, Jesus, I think we can do better. <clears throat> I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> See, anyway. Okay. Sorry. I said I'm losing rewards even as I speak. <laughs> how you labor in your jobs, how you serve, how you give, all these things. Your relational tests with God. Was God first? Was God set in the first place? We celebrate Jesus Christ in every area of our lives. It means I put him first. I put him first in my time. I put him first in my talents, my abilities. I put him first. Do I do that? Well, I fail so often with others inside the church. How do I treat my brothers and sisters in Christ? I remember once I was a new Christian up in Fort McMurray and I worked for Syncrude back then uh, in their computer department. This is way back. And uh, I was in church and I was this zealous new believer. And I just happened to be in church and these two ladies were having a fight. The fight was bizarre. In church, like at the end of the service. And they were fighting over 
who got to date a certain young man. The one wanted her daughter dating him, and the other one wanted her daughter dating him. And I'm just standing there going, wow. But guys, I'm going to tell you something. The pastor's trying to calm them down. And she's like, the pastor says, you need to forgive her. And this is what the lady said. She said, I'm never forgiving her. I would rather burn in hell than forgive her. I honestly felt fear. Honestly, I did. It was like this, how can you say that? Got to treat the church family like they're the body of Christ. Your neighbors, hospitality, the words we speak, telling them about Jesus. With our enemies, do you live in forgiveness? All these things will be rewarded in eternity for eternity. We fear and revere God lastly because He is loving. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. My wife was telling me, again, the best analogies come from my wife. So we're talking, we're driving, we're talking about this sermon. I said, honey, how do I illustrate this? And she said, well, she said, when I was growing up, my mom, I would, my mom would be going to parties and my mom would say, honey, I don't want you doing that when you go to the party. Because mom and dads know they were partiers. They know what happens at parties. So they're not stupid kids. They're not stupid. They know. <laughs> and so Betty would go to the party and sure enough, somebody would offer her drugs or something. And she would immediately think about, because her mom would say, honey, that would break my heart if you did that. So while she's there, her mom's not watching. But because she had a love and a reverence for her mother, she would say, no, I, I don't do that. And the peer pressure was there. Are you following what I'm saying? Come on, you, so, so your mom's not here. No, but I love my mom. <laughs> I revere my mom. Amen? Church, listen, there's things I do not do, not because you're watching me, but because I know God is watching me. Okay. We fear God because He's merciful. It affects others around us. The story doesn't end in the here and now, and He loves us. I could go on, but I'm going to stop there. The band's going to come back. What are the signs that we're living in the fear of the Lord? It changes the way we live. This is a word called consecration. See, holiness is dedicating my life to God. So when I fear God, I consecrate my life. That means I consecrate my time. I consecrate my talents and abilities. I consecrate my treasure. I consecrate my testimony, my words. There are things I just don't say because I fear the Lord. Everybody hearing me? 
When we fear the Lord, it changes, it shapes the way we live. Exodus 20.20 just says, Moses spoke to the people, don't be afraid, God has come to test you and to instill a deep, revered awe, reverent awe within you so that you will not sin. That's good. Well, what's another sign that I'm living in the fear of the Lord? It changes the way we relate to others. The community, consecration, community. Amen? How you treat people, how you treat your friends, your enemies, your acquaintances, your neighbors, sharing the good news with the broken, the hurting, the bruised, the marginalized. The church isn't about you. The greatest revelation you're ever going to have as a Christian is that you are here not for you. You're here for others. Amen? Isn't that beautiful? It changed my life when I realized I was going to church not for me. Because I used to go to church and go, I don't really like that pastor. He's preaching, he's preaching on the fear of God. Where's the love of God? I don't like that worship leader. It's not about you. <laughs> Amen? You can worship God to the greatest hymns of a hundred years ago. Praise Jesus. You can download the one that just got released online last week and say, man, I can praise God to this too. Because it changes the way we relate to God. We love him and we trust him. We hate what he hates and we love what he loves. That's a tough one for me. What do you find yourself laughing at? Sometimes it should sober you. Amen? The book of Philippians chapter 2 talks about Jesus, the suffering servant, coming in obedience, laying down his life, setting aside everything, trusting God. But it ends with these staggering words. And he sa it says... It says this, therefore God has exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name for that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I asked the Lord one day, why will every knee bow God? Because men and women will be without excuse. Because God would have met them in the worst place possible and accepted them. But we live in a world that says, God can go to hell. I don't care what he says. I want to do what I want to do. But not the church. Amen? And there are people fleeing the world right now, looking for hope because they're looking at a world that's so crazy. Let's have and portray a correct perception of the living God. One thing, God, you have spoken. Two things have I heard. You, O oh God, are strong. And you, O oh God, are loving. Thanks for joining us. For more of our messages and information on our ministries, you can visit tfhchurch.ca. Have a great week.